0: Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Download. Our aim is to reveal from Scripture just how good God really is. Find more of our sermons and other links, as well as contact details, at our website www.highway.org.za. That's h i g h w a y.org.za. May this sermon bless you. Enjoy. Okay, so we're going to look a little bit tonight around the topic of the new covenant. And it was Jesus who inaugurated this when he said, um, giveth thou a hard time. In the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, say new covenant, in my blood which is poured out. Or you. This is the basis of our faith around. So we want to look now what is a covenant? Oh, Esh, wow, it's jumping around. But... Okay, what is a covenant? So, uh, in ancient times, covenants were sealed in blood. They, um... oh, I'm saying that there, right. They were. David Livingston was amazed that throughout his travels in Africa, even in primitive different religious communities that he came into, they had an understanding of covenants. Covenants are contracts. Covenants were exchange of gifts, trusting that you will defend me and I'll defend you. Sometimes marriages were arranged to seal a covenant. There was blood involved in covenants. And it made it very easy for him to bridge between uh, pagan religions and the gospel of Christ's covenant. And in, in most covenants, there are essentially four components. There's the testator, that's the person uh, making the covenant, God, in, our, in our covenant, God, the heir, which is the person benefiting, i.e. man, the conditions involved under the old covenant. It was uh, law and works under the new covenant, faith and grace. And then there's the inheritance. Um, all nations are blessed, eternal life. So so these are uh, just kind of the essential components that we find in In covenants. Or is that too quick? Let me make something here. Don't stress about taking notes. Reason being, on the website tomorrow morning, whatever comes up on the screen is going to be on the wwhighway.org.za on the little tab that says discipleship course. So, some people like to take notes because it keeps them focused. And some people like to rather listen. So you can have the best of both. You want to write? You can, but the notes will be available for the life group representatives here tonight. But they will be on the website. Cool. All right. So, uh, throughout the scripture, we see there are there are covenants that God made. As we run through the Bible, we see—I don't know if it's a battery doing this—but in Eden, after the fall of man. God makes a covenant. He is the testator, man is the heir, inheritance. He will save him. Uh, The seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. It was the proto-evangelism. It was the first mention that God would intervene. Animal skin was cut open, blood was shed, man was covered. Uh, This continues in Noah. Uh, There was wickedness on the face of the earth. You can imagine how wicked wickedness can become when it's so debauched and so depraved and, and promiscuity is at such a level that God says enough is enough and he makes a covenant with Noah. And then the next covenant we see was with, was with Abraham uh, in Genesis 12 where uh, we're quite familiar with that now. But God initiated a covenant that he made with himself. You see, God had to make a covenant before the foundations of the earth with himself and it only... God announced to Abraham in the beginning of of, of his menace's life. And God made a covenant with himself because he couldn't break a covenant. And he says, I swear this by myself. Abraham was available as a covenant partner through faith, willing to sacrifice even his own son. And God says, in that same mountain range, I'm going to send my son. A lamb will be provided. Covenant is made. We see covenant is made then with, uh, with Moses in Genesis, at least in Exodus. And the, the um, Ash, maybe you can, I'm going to just read off here, and you're going to have to, because I, I can't do this okay. And then, uh, so God makes a covenant with Moses because it was a, a parenthesis within the Abrahamic covenant. The the promise was made to Abraham, it will be fulfilled in Jesus. But God needed a nation that he could set apart from the other heathen nations that he would show himself holy, he would show his righteousness, and in the process, he would bring a Messiah, a promised Messiah. And then the next covenant God makes is with David, uh, who was a man ahead of his time. But the covenant we want to get to tonight is... uh, The promise of a new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and 31. And it says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And here's the, the, the great promise. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is a whole new covenant dispensation. Under the Moses' Covenant, there was the continual reminder of sin, of, of failure, of being disqualified. But God says, It's coming a time, and this is pointing, these are just like IOU notes in the old covenant that are pointing towards the full payment in Christ. And Jesus was actually an overpayment. I, love, I think it's Joseph Prince who uses that term, overpayment. It's like going to a car garden and giving him 50,000 rand. It's just, it's like. Over the top. It's just bizarre. It's just, uh, uh, Jesus was a complete overpayment. One drop of divine, divinity blood was all it would have needed on the altar of, of the new covenant. But Jesus pours out every last drop of blood from his body. A total overpayment. Because God wanted to be able to ratify his covenant that I will remember their sins no more. So this is the promise that is made. And then number four, the new covenant is contrasted with the law covenant in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. It says, now if the ministry that brought death, say brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, that's talking about the Mosaic covenant, came with glory so that The Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? I hope in your discussion tonight that came up the contrast between the old and the new is that the first one was a ministry of death. We're not saying that. We're not saying the Moses covenant was evil. It wasn't evil. God gave it. It was a holy covenant. But it could never make them holy. It only could point to his holiness and the fact that they needed his grace to achieve that. So when they brought their little lamb to the priest, and they came in, the priest inspected the lamb. Didn't inspect them. Didn't look at their teeth and their ears and... Look in their hair. He just inspected the lamb without spot or wrinkle. And he took the lamb. When God looks at you, he sees Christ's atonement. He, see, he sees Christ's perfect. It's the ministry of the Spirit. It's the new covenant. He remembers our sin no more, and we have a glorious ministry. Number five, the new covenant is called superior. And we read that scripture in, in Hebrews Chapter 8. So, so why is this covenant superior? Well, there's three things. Um, first of all, Jesus fulfills the laws, he fulfills the feasts, and he fulfills the sacrifices. This is why it's a superior covenant. One, God would remember our sins no more. It's not the ministry of death anymore, but the ministry of life. And it's based on better promises. And those better promises Oh, because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Um, one time he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus was the only man who could keep the Ten Commandments and the other 350-something spotless and without blame. But Jesus himself healed on the Sabbath, which was against the law. No, it wasn't against the law. It was against their understanding of the law. And sometimes God does that. He does things almost to offend the mind to get a hold of our heart. And he offended them by doing things that their little religious boxes couldn't comprehend. And he did it because he wanted to show himself greater than the law. The one who was coming to offer the true Sabbath rest through faith in his atonement. Jesus kept the full Ten Commandments. Jesus was circumcised, went through all the rituals, and he did it to fulfill it as the only man who didn't need to then go to the priest for forgiveness. He received he, and he fulfilled the, the law. He also fulfilled the feasts. In Leviticus, God says to Moses, speak to the Israelites and give them these appointed feasts. There was the Passover feast. Who knows what the Passover was pointing towards? To the cross. Yeah, Terry? Terry? Yeah, to the cross. Uh, What was the unleavened bread feast pointing towards? The Last Supper. What was the uh, first fruits feast? The resurrection of Jesus. What was the Feast of Pentecost pointing towards? The day when the Holy Spirit... um, I think... Oh no, these aren't in the notes, uh, Ash. Okay. Just remember, they will be in the notes tomorrow night. I mean, tomorrow morning. And then the, the Feast of Tabernacles is, what does that look at? The second coming, but also the first coming. It was, the Tabernacles were you know, primarily that Messiah, the promise of Messiah would be realized. Both his first and second. You must remember, from the Old Testament perspective, they saw two mountains like this. They could only see, they looked like they are on top of each other. It's only with hindsight we can see the difference. From their perspective, it looked like this. The first coming and the second coming. So often the terminology, often the prophetic words, often you get mixed up between is that now, the lion lying with the lamb, etc. It all had to do with a perspective, but it spoke of both. So Jesus, how did he fulfill the feasts? How did he fulfill the sacrifices? He was their fulfillment. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming and not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year. Make perfect those who draw near to worship. And in Colossians chapter 2, it says, When you were dead, say I was dead, I was dead, in your sins and in the uncircumcision, He's playing with words a little bit, yeah? Because the Jews, the the proselytizers were making such a big deal about Christians needed to be circumcised. You were uncircumcised in your sinful nature, but God made you alive with Christ. Here's the miracle of the new covenant. God made you alive with Christ. I love that saying. John Piper God is not just interested in naughty people becoming good people. He's interested in dead people being made alive. God made us alive. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that were against us, they were always against us, and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You see, the Bible is very clear. There are... Old covenants, not just a covenant, but old covenants leading up to the promise of the new covenant. When we read our Bibles, when we share the gospel, if we draw out of the old covenant operating system of works and obedience to achieve righteousness, we pollute and undermine the gospel. But when we preach from a position of the new covenant is the starting point, you start with all your sins forgiven. You start in the righteousness of Christ. And now moving forward from that covenant with a new nature, maybe the butterfly lands on the wrong dog poo, but it doesn't choose to live there anymore because it's left its former worm state where it was happy to grovel in things below its standard. And it's now chosen an elevated position. Seated in Christ, we don't start with sin consciousness, trying to please God, trying to prove to God that we're worthy. We start from being worthy. And Jeff's going to share a little bit more about that on Sunday. I'm looking forward Jeff, by the way, is the YWAM director. He's been in YWAM many years Travels, I've just come back from Kenya, speaking to many. I don't know how many pastors there, 110, 200, 700, okay. Pastors up there, and Jeff loves teaching on grace and preaching grace. He's the guy who plays the flute up there, very quiet, unintimidating, doing a great work for God, and he's going to be sharing next weekend around around this topic. So, come to the last point that... um, Number whatever it was. But Jesus' covenant is superior because. Because. And that was some of the discussion just now. Jesus has a superior covenant mostly because the old covenant demanded things and the new covenant provides things. The old covenant demanded that blessing would come to you based on your performance The new covenant says God has provided blessing to us on the basis of Christ's performance. Ephesians says, being blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. Go read Corinthians again. He starts off talking about they've been blessed in every way and made rich in every way. And then three chapters later, he's dealing with a guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. We start with a consciousness of what the new covenant is, what God has provided. Then we deal with things as we go along the way. And there's a place for for correction. And there's a place for rebuke. And there's a place for discipline. And there's a place for branches being clipped off that prevent us from being fruitful for our own sake. But God is never angry with us. He promised in Isaiah 54, I will never be angry with them again. Talk In the context of the new covenant, God will never be angry. Of course I believe in the wrath of God. The wrath of God was revealed against sin. Jesus suffered the full impact of the the wrath of God that was on sin, not on Jesus. And of course, there's judgment. And of course, those who don't accept this new covenant and step into it are going to face a terrifying judgment. Don't let anyone come and start playing with your mind and telling you there's no more judgment and everyone's sins are forgiven and some will discover it in this life and some in the next life. That is absolute heresy and it's robbing the church of of evangelistic fervor and wanting to see the nations discipled. Paul says, if if that's the case, let's just all eat, drink, and be merry. Eat and drink for tomorrow, we will fast. I mean diet, not fast. He says, it's crazy. I don't think he said crazy, but maybe the Greek meant crazy or something. So the old covenant demanded something that the new covenant provides. Read in the book of Hebrews, it, it's, it talks about you must. The old covenant was all about you must do this, and you must do this, and you must do that. You, you mustn't do that. But then you come into the new covenant and God says, I will do this. I will forgive your sins. I will give you new heart. I will write my word in your life. Can you see the difference between demanding and providing? Under the old covenant, when the old covenant was made... 3,000 died that same day. In the new covenant, after it was ratified and the spirit was poured out, 3,000 are saved. Under the old covenant, you were forbade to touch a leper. In the new covenant, Jesus heals. And he says, go and do the same. The one demands, the one provides. Under the old covenant, there's a remembrance of sin. Under the new covenant, he promised to remember Our sins no more. The Bible calls the old covenant inferior and it calls the new covenant superior. The old covenant was a ministry of death. The new covenant is a ministry of life. In the old covenant, we were condemned, and in the new covenant we are promised. There is now, therefore, no more condemnation. In the old covenant, read in Galatians. Curses were pronounced for disobedience. In the new covenant, Jesus says, I'll become a curse. So you never have to be cursed. Two completely different operating systems. I mean, I really loved Sunday morning talking about who Jesus is. I mean, that has just got to be the best topic in the world to speak about. Talk about his life, his his. Discipling of, his, of those men around him. The fact that he, he, he uh, was tempted in every way without, like us but without sin. To, to, to think that he, he went through the pain of the crucifixion right through to the end. He could have called on legions of angels. 34,000 angels were just waiting, bursting, just leaning against heaven's gates going, just say the word, just say the word. We're going to obliterate. You think, you think Noah's flood was bad. Wait until you see what we're about to do to that planet. Jesus said, like that, I could have called on them, but this is what God has called me to. And he went through Gethsemane, went through the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. When he sat with his disciples and he took that cup, like we did on Sunday morning, and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Come on, church. We've moved from death into life. We've moved from something that was inferior into something that is glorious. And that's why an understanding at a heart level and a revelation of the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is is so vitally important for us. And even if you don't remember anything in terms of the details of tonight's teaching, your spirit will receive it. So take it back to the life groups and and, and share these scriptures. Go onto the internet tomorrow morning, download it and meditate on these things. Take these scriptures we read tonight. They'll be uh, written out on the notes on, on the internet and read them for yourself again. Come on. Read them again. Meditate. Soak on them. Memorize them. Now That's kind of a lost art today, isn't it? I mean, we, yeah, Joy, we, we learned some of those early scriptures through the songs we sung. And, and they got entrenched in us. And, and I'm so grateful for those years. Although I'm such a young man, I've learned so much through those early songs that we sung. That song we heard on Sunday. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all your lands. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And it just sticks with you. Gets into your spirit. Meditate on these, these scriptures, these passages. Get them into you. Very simply put, and I'll conclude with this before we go into the next section. If we don't understand the different covenants, we don't get the gospel. If we don't understand the different covenants, And how to wisely discern between them. And as Paul wrote to Timothy and said, correctly divide the word of truth. We kind of get a mixed up message that has lost its power. So Jesus, tonight, we ask as your people, There's a company gathered here tonight that we're not going to forget these things. I pray for a sealing of the word in our hearts tonight. What I want to do for these last 10 minutes is, again, we're going to stand. Yes, we're going to stand. We're going to find our groups, maybe different faces, different people. And this time, what we're going to do is we're going to just take 10 minutes to pray for those people that we've written down their names and we believe in that by the end of this year, they are going to have an encounter with God. Hey, Ryan, is that a good idea? I think we should do that. Am I allowed to tell your story or not yet? Can I tell your story? I did, but I didn't use your name, okay? Bumped into Ryan when, after the Monday night. He said, who was that guy with you on Sunday? Really nice guy. He tall, looked like it could be a provincial rugby player, or sportsman. Or He said, yeah, that was the guy. I wrote his name down. and He contacted me. I invited him. I'm glad when I get told that story, I've learned in the ministry. I've learned a few things. I make a lot of mistakes, and I sometimes get into trouble when I speak ahead of what I'm thinking. But I've learned not to share someone's story without getting permission. And I'm glad I didn't, because Janet came to me afterwards and said, he was sitting at the back of church on Sunday, and he was loving it. He was loving it. I don't know if he connected the dots. Do you think he connected the dots, Ron? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want it just to be one story here on a Monday night. Come on, church. We've got to trust God every name that's been written down in the back of your Bible, for this year that you trust. In, not just one, write five. So if you miss four, you can still hit one. And, and so that we will celebrate at the end of the year. Next year is going to be different. We're not doing this again next year. What we've got planned for next year might be too much for you to comprehend right now. So just enjoy the journey, okay?